0: within this community and within this context where we see all these other shows that handle non-monogamy at least I personally can feel this sense of, of a little bit of the, that compulsory sexuality pressure at work mm. of feeling like oh if I'm not talking about kink or sex or group sex at the same level of frequency as these other people are that must mean that i'm inherently sex negative fascinating if
1: you're happy with the same old ways of dating
2: if
0: you enjoy sucking at communication
1: and you have no desire to improve your romantic life then our podcast might not be for you
0: but if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships
1: broaden your sexual horizons
0: develop a better understanding of yourself
1: or learn more about non-monogamy then you've come to the right place I'm Jace, I'm Lane. and I'm Dedeker, and this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're thinking critically about sex positivity and sex negativity, These two terms get thrown around a lot in discussion, um, not just in recent years, but even for a while, but they're ideas that are a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex than I think most people think, especially the people, I would say, especially the people who tend to whip them out in arguments Mm. as just sort of like blanket statements they assume everyone else Mm. understands, usually is because they themselves don't understand quite the level of complexity that goes into these.
0: Yeah, and related to that, this is a huge topic that you've picked out here, Jace. Um, Just going to say, this is a topic that's very complex. It's very far-reaching. All the different wide varieties and definitions of these two terms are often intertwined, so please... Bear with us. Um, you know, if in the first five minutes of the episode, we give a definition of like that really gets under your skin, trust me, we will probably go on to explain other definitions or why there's problems with that definition. So you don't need to like switch us off and throw your podcast machine across the room in a rage. Wow. Um, <laughs> unless that's unless that's going to bring you some joy today. Um, but I guess sure. don't call us up to pay for your crotch screen. Anyway, let's dive in.
2: So with that, we're going to start with some definitions. Um, And again, as Dedeker said, this is a far-reaching topic. So I think when people think of sex positivity or negativity, just a blanket statement, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, one is automatically bad and one is automatically good. Mm. Uh, But we're here to kind of debunk that a little bit and go into reasons why there are potential problems with both. Uh, So first of all, we're going to talk about sex positivity. So... This is a Carol Queen quote. Do we know who Carol Queen is?
1: Uh, She's a feminist writer. Cool. Um,
2: Well, she has a quote on sex positivity, and here it is. It is the cultural philosophy that understands sexuality as a potentially positive force in one's life. And it can, of course, be contrasted with sex negativity, which sees sex as problematic, disruptive, and dangerous. Sex positivity allows for, and in fact celebrates, sexual diversity, differing desires, and relationship structures, and individual choices based on consent.
0: Hmm. So I feel like, I mean, anecdotally, I think the sex positive movement is, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with the sex positive movement, I would imagine. I think it's something that came onto my radar, what, maybe beginning five, six, seven years ago or so, I think for me personally.
1: It's it's interesting, though, yeah. historically, that the sex positivity movement actually goes back to 1920-something. Yeah, I
2: know, that really surprised yeah. me. I was yeah. like, wow. I, because definitely, I mean, as I started to become an adult and a young adult, that seemed to be the thing that people were really getting into and really talking about. Especially when I moved to California, it mm. became much more a thing that people were interested in and kind of wearing as an identity, like loud and proud. I am sex positive.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, so it was this thing that was kind of created in the twenties from a scientific point of view of being just sort of observing that sex in itself isn't this inherently shameful or bad or, or harmful thing. And that actually it was kind of more about like health benefits Mm. of, having sex um, and kind of looking at it more from from kind of a scientific medical standpoint. And then it wasn't until the 60s, kind of during the free love movement, that sex positivity kind of actually started getting used and talked about a little bit more mainstream. And then like Dedeker and Emily were saying, it's kind of more recently, I think largely because of... um, you know, poly communities and kink communities and stuff being able to get together more because of the internet, that that has then kind of spread even more and become something that maybe more people have access to learning about or, um, or or at least have heard at some point, have heard someone talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense, though, as as far as, like, the timing of that, because in the 20s, there was also a big, like, sexual revolution that I think we don't really talk about or even think about as having an impact. I think it's we're like more likely flapper. to talk about, you know... Like exactly like the whole flapper thing. Yes. Um, it was around the time when it's like condoms started becoming widely available for people to use. And that like really yeah, like like, you know, before, you know, hormonal birth control was a thing, like condoms were relatively revolutionary at that time of being actually accessible. Um So, yeah, so like things definitely, something shook loose a little bit in the 20s. And so that does make sense that that would be the first time that, at least from a scientific perspective, someone's coming forward talking about these things. We're coming up again on the 20s. What's going to happen then?
2: Whoa.
1: I'm excited.
2: We got a new revolution.
1: Need to like prohibit something again so we can all. Sounds good.
0: No, let's, oh not. geez. Well don't <laughs> hold your
2: breath. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: <clears throat> All right. Um, so we wanted to kind of just before we move on to some of the other definitions, kind of like, so what's this actually look like? Right? People tend to talk about it, um, kind of like Dedeker brought up, as being sort of a well, I was gonna say a positive thing, sex positivity. Um, but you know, that it's kind of somehow morally superior or that it's better or that it's in contrast to something it's Mm. more evolved yeah that it's in contrast to something that's that's more um kind of limiting or conservative yeah closed-minded tends to be associated with liberalism right so this and and that's not to say that that definition is wrong or like that those connotations are wrong. It's just more nuanced than that. That's going to be we're just going to say that like a hundred times this episode,
2: so that you don't throw your podcast <laughs> yeah. machine in the trash.
1: So what this means is things like doing the work to accept your own sexual identity or your own sexual desires. That because you might want sex or because you might want a certain type of sex doesn't mean that that you're bad or that you're wrong, that that's okay. Right. So this is definitely related to obviously sexual identity of like, well, it doesn't matter who you're attracted to. Like, that's okay. Right. Um, Or just the fact that you want to have sex at all doesn't mean that you're somehow slutty or less of a person or less valuable. Right. That that's kind of one of those core messages people want to get across with sex positivity.
0: Yeah, it may also mean, you know, choosing to communicate about sex openly and proactively. So instead of carrying like shame and secrecy around the way or, you know, avoiding talking about sex, especially, you know, talking about sex with the person that you're having sex with, um, it may be, you know, kind of doing the work to let go of some of that shame and some of that negativity so that you can have these very open, proactive, mature conversations around sex in general.
2: It can also look like calling for an end to things like slut-shaming, even rape culture. I uh, It can get, you know, very big and intense on that as well. I mean, gosh, I think about how when I was my, like, second or third partner that I ever had in my life called me promiscuous because at the age of, like, 20, I had already slept with three people. I just, yeah... Well, but, you know, it is that idea of, like, oh, you know, well, you're promiscuous, you're a slut, because of X, Y, and Z thing. Did yeah. he sing
0: that Nelly Furtado song to you? Which promiscuous one? Girl?
2: Promiscuous, promiscuous girl. promiscuous girl, of course. Wait, Nelly
0: Furtado sang that?
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. Didn't she also do I'm Like a Bird?
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> what does that have to do with
2: anything? <laughs> I don't know. They just seem like completely different people there. But, okay, never mind. Yeah.
1: It was kind of later...
2: It was later in her career. She well, I mean, did the indie shit, later. and then she did the like not indie shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. <laughs> okay, well, yes. So those things can also be a part of uh, sex positivity.
1: Well, I think I think part of what like to to go off of what you were just saying, Emily, is that calling someone promiscuous that that, that that's a bad thing, right? This is something that comes up a it lot of like bad. oh, yeah. of course, no, and that's and, and he meant it as a bad thing. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> but like in in like when you listen to people like um Dr. for Christ Dr. Christopher Ryan uh talk about sexuality and mm. humans potentially being not monogamous by nature, one of the things that comes up in that research is talking about humans or other animals as being promiscuous as more of just a statement of fact of yeah. like they have sex with multiple people and that it's not um, you know, just this exclusive pair bonding thing, and it's not something that's only done for procreation.
2: I see. So that word can mean different things, but often when, like, people, again, they they qualify, like, promiscuous as, like, this is a, not a good thing, this is a bad thing. Yeah, so, yeah, like, we have that connotation with absolutely. it.
0: Well, I feel like that's been kind of what's driven the movements that we saw a few years ago of, like, reclaiming the word slut. For instance, Mm. you know, of like, yeah, this is a word that's been used with this very, very negative connotation, but part of the sex positivity, like, movement is going to be to reclaim this word and be like, yeah, being a slut is okay, having sex with a lot of people is okay, or... Honestly, even just having sex with more than one person is okay, or just wanting sex at all is okay. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what was behind reclaiming the word slut, which I think, I, I mean, understandably, people have mixed feelings about, I definitely have mixed feelings about, you know, reclamation of certain words, but that's not what this topic is about today. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: yeah. And there are a lot of other ways in which these things for sex positivity can be applied in real life, but... Definitely, if you want to look up more, if you want to be like, am I doing this thing? Then you can Google that shit for sure.
1: (laughs) And you will find a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So something that we did want to acknowledge here before we move on to talking about definitions of sex negativity um, is we wanted to acknowledge sex moralism. Which I was
2: like, what is that?
1: Right. Well, we've we've talked about it on this show in the past as meaning um, kind of giving a moral judgment to sex of being bad to sort of differentiate that from some of the sex negativity we're going to talk about later. Um, But actually in researching this episode, it's really that sex moralism is kind of a whole field of sexual ethics and sort of a whole study of ethics as it relates to human sexuality and sexual behavior. So sexual moralism isn't, isn't exactly the way we've used that term before. Um mm. it is kind of more this like field of study and there's actually if you look it up there are some really interesting very heady somewhat dense very heady articles out there on this topic um but that actually are are pretty interesting. But we did just kind of want to acknowledge that fact that we'd sort of used that term to mean something a little bit different before. Um but that it is actually sort of a whole field of of ethics and philosophy, I guess. Yeah.
0: Would you call them sex fix? Wow.
1: I I was gonna say I wouldn't, but I actually probably would. So <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, let's be <laughs> honest. Just say, I only made that joke because
0: you didn't make that joke first. Well,
1: yeah.
2: Thank you, Dunaker. <laughs> you know him so well.
0: <laughs> You're a little slow on the uptake on that one.
1: Yeah. yeah sorry, I didn't didn't oh. think of it. No, I would. Yeah.
0: No, I think, I mean, ethics in general is already just such a deep topic, and if we go into the nuances of relationship ethics and sexual ethics or sex ethics as well, um, there is definitely a wealth of knowledge. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to throw a bone here because sometimes sex moralism gets tossed into this debate also as a label, um, like especially labeling someone as being like sex moralistic, um, like maybe someone who places a value judgment on whether sex is good or bad. Um mm. Which is a little bit separate from, I think, the actual, like, study and analytical discussion of sexual morals. Well, can I ask, like, when
2: we were researching this, you sent out the article regarding sexual moralism and religion. And so, like, how do those two go hand in hand? It is just that question of whether or not, like, it is a moral thing to desire sex and to have it outside of a procreative you know, means or or opportunity or whatever.
1: Well, that's, that's why this is so fascinating mm. is that it's, that's not the question that's sort of part of a lot of the questions about it. Um, and this isn't, so I, I guess I wanted to point it out that it's not something like sex positivity is the opposite of sex moralism, which is religious like, that it's really not that at all. Like, religion and sex moralism are intertwined, just because, like, ethics and morality and religion are intertwined with each other, and those discussions will often overlap with people who are religious, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that world of people, of religious people talking about sexual ethics, um, there's still a huge variety and levels of subtlety and stuff like this, like this article that you were talking about that we're not going to go into in depth on this on this episode um, but was posted on thegospelcoalition.org um but it it goes into talking about things like the ethics of the importance of consent or the ethics of the importance of allowing people to express their own sexuality and gender identity and our responsibility to acknowledge and affirm that identity which you know, you think on a site called thegospelcoalition.org, you might not expect to interesting that yeah. sort of view to be the one that's being mentioned here, right? And this is just one particular article, but I guess that's just an example of what an interesting field it is, and how there is a very interesting discussion to be had there that does tie it into religion. Yeah. Um, Thanks for yeah, yeah
2: making... Making that statement because it was interesting to me, but I did want to touch on it briefly. So I appreciate you talking well, about Well, we're going
0: to touch on it some more. Um, cool. Because <laughs> this kind of leads us to the next thing, which is talking about sex negativity, or at least kind of the common definition of sex negativity. And so generally, I think when people use the term sex negativity or when you read the term sex negativity, usually it refers to a mindset that sex itself is inherently dirty or dangerous or risky or pathological or deviant or just bad in some way, inherently negative. Um, certain kinds of sex are seen as normal and acceptable, such as heterosexual sex, procreative sex, monogamous sex, vanilla sex. um, and it stands in contrast with other types of sex that are seen as not normal, as deviant, as bad, like kinky sex or sex outside of a marriage or group sex or sex with multiple people or or things like that. Um, so that's kind of the general take on sex negativity. I know in my own life, where, the reason why I'm bringing the religion thing up again is because for me, it very much overlaps that like hmm. I was raised in an evangelical Christian household, and so that meant that, like, Christian, quote-unquote, morals around sex were applied, and Christian, quote-unquote, morals around sex tended to be pretty sex negative, in the sense of, like, sex is a, like, yes, sex is a thing, people do it, it's great, but only if you do it in this particular way, and any way outside of that is very clearly impure and sinful and wrong and to be avoided at all costs.
2: Yeah, I think before getting into kind of the like minutiae or uh, just nuance of what se- sex negativity can mean, that is definitely like what I thought of when I thought of a sex-negative person, someone who potentially was uber-religious and very traditional in their values of sex and what it looked like. Um, but besides that, I mean, se- sex negativity can come up in real life in a lot of ways that aren't necessarily so like, You know, this person is a sex-negative person, but they can definitely do things that are sex-negative. One Mm -hmm. of those things, for example, is slut-shaming. And again, kind of what we just talked about with that guy telling me that I was promiscuous or a slut Mm -hmm. because I I had slept with three people.
1: God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Or on the other side of that is carrying around a lot of shame Mm. or probably because of that, a lot of secrecy about your own sexual desires or about the fact that you've had sex at all, things like that. Um, Yeah. I know that's something like in my life, again, like also mm. being raised religiously and definitely have struggled with a lot of that for a long time. It's sort of been a long process. It wasn't just a binary like, okay, all of a sudden I stopped thinking those things. It kind of sticks with you like this sort of guilt for having certain desires that seem not normal. Even even as your definition of normal changes, they're still like, well, anything not normal is like, that's a deviant thing, that's a bad thing, that's, you know, um, something I should be ashamed of.
2: Yeah, and in a similar fashion, obviously, shaming others for their sexuality or for being a sexual being, which I think kind of goes along with slut-shaming, just... Mm -hmm. If a woman is promiscuous or if whomever is promiscuous, then automatically that's a bad thing in some people's mind and that they should be shamed or punished for it.
0: And something I want to point out, and we will get more into the weeds of this a little bit later as we start to get more into the criticism of all these things, of sex positivity and sex negativity and all these things, um, but that people who... Have a lot of sex can still be very sex negative, and people who don't have any sex can still be very positive around sex and sexuality. So mm-hmm. I just want to put it out there. Again, we'll start to dive more into that a little bit later. Um, but I mean, I definitely learned very early on, and honestly, particularly in in like a number of men that I've dated, have found that like just that, that like, even if you have a lot of sex, you can still carry a lot of shame around your own sexuality. You can still carry a lot of shame around your own sexual desires. You can still do a lot of shaming of other people's Mm -hmm. sexual activity, even if you're someone who like, quote unquote, embraces having sex a lot.
1: Yeah, definitely. I also just wanted to point out too that, that this sort of sex negativity that we're talking about now, like this type of definition also applies to things like, um, like the accusations that I feel like we heard a lot more of this kind of talk like in the nineties, but of like someone getting HIV or AIDS and being like, well, they deserved it because they were being immoral. They were being deviant. Right. Or like, this is God's punishment for promiscuity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, on the other hand, um, well, I guess just that. Like um sort of the accusation people even get today if they're polyamorous or non-monogamous, if you ever have a breakup, there's that like well obviously it's because of this. Right? Obviously any problem you have is because you're doing this this shameful thing that that we shouldn't be so willy nilly with we shouldn't we shouldn't be so free with well, this I, I, thing. Willy-nilly. I mean, I think
0: we still we still get that in all of the discussions around like STI stigma, and mm-hmm. also in discussing unwanted pregnancies. Like, there's still very much this strong narrative of like, well, if you didn't want to catch an STI or if you didn't want to get pregnant, like you shouldn't have had sex in the first place, and and therefore you deserve it. Yeah,
2: yeah. A equals B, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So. I feel like, you know, anyone who's even been remotely on the fringes of this kind of world understands these kind of more, quote unquote, textbook definitions of sex positivity and sex negativity. However, specifically with the term sex negativity, this is not the only way that this term is used. And that brings us to talking about sex negative feminism. And now, personally, I think for many years when I just heard about the idea of sex negative feminism, I really just kind of mentally threw it in the garbage, <laughs> honestly, because I was so conditioned to be like, oh, sex negativity, that's bad. Okay, so so that means whatever version of sex negative feminism, that's not for me. So I'm just going to completely disregard it. Um, and I went that way for several years, like not even thinking about that, not even analyzing it until honestly, like maybe six months to a year ago, I read someone's blog post where they kind of laid out very clearly what sex negative feminism is. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh my God, this makes total perfect sense. Um So I have a quote here from Christine Rivas, who says that even sex negative feminists, they tend to use the term as an identifier rather than as a representation of their values. Rather sex negative feminists would be more accurately called sex critical feminists. So as in this idea that, and where I think discussions about sex negative feminism tends to get derailed is because of the same assumptions that I made, which is like, oh, if you're talking about sex negativity, you're talking about all these terrible things we just talked about, about being shameful or slut shaming or being conservative. um, And therefore, it's not even worthy of discussion. Um, But in a nutshell, you know, sex negative feminism or sex critical feminism just kind of like, criticizes this idea that if it's sex, It's inherently good, Mm. which is sometimes a takeaway that people get from the sex positivity movement is this idea of like sex, as long as it's consensual and as long as it's healthy, whatever that means, that must mean that it's good. And that that kind of paints it with this really broad brush and really ignores the context that some sex happens in as in a context where sometimes it's not that easy to get consent or where sometimes it's like there's still like power dynamics involved or where it's like even though there is consent, it doesn't necessarily mean that the sex is good, you know, or or is like an, a positive uplifting thing. So we kind of need to dive into that, too, is this idea that like there is this sex, quote unquote, sex negativity that also refers to being critical of sex from a feminist perspective,
1: yeah, and, and like, it's interesting in some of the stuff we were reading for this episode of of people mentioning like, well, part of the reason for using the term sex negativity instead of something else, like sex negative feminism, is because it does get attention. Yeah. Right? It does get that mm-hmm. like, what? Mm-hmm. What are you what talking about? This seems
2: like an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but I do think it's interesting, though, that that, that quote that Dedeker read there, that it's not meant to be a representation of their values. It's not like I'm judging sex to be negative. It's more just like, Hey, I'm not so sure about everything that's getting said within sex positivity. Let's pump the brakes here and let's look at this a little more critically. So I actually yeah. do really like sex critical um, as, as kind of a, a better way of describing that maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, one thing that is brought up in some of the articles about it is this idea of compulsory sexuality. The idea that within sex positivity, which grew out of this backlash against being shamed for sex or being told you're not allowed to want it and be a good person, or you're not allowed to have it and be a good person, as a as a response to that, sex positivity and sex positive communities can be kind of, all the way on the other side of like, you have to be having sex. Like the more sex you're having, the more positive value you carry within that community, the more like a real, you know, sex positive person you can claim to be if you're having more sex, which Mm. in itself is really devaluing people who are, for example, asexual or maybe just for whatever preference of their own, don't want to be having a lot of sex. Um, And so there can kind of end up on the flip side, this thing of actually, um, you know, disenfranchising or hurting or kind of leaving out or even shaming people who don't want to have sex or just don't have a drive for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, if we can get this into a little bit of a meta discussion, I know we've had. So on this show, we don't talk about sex a ton. Mm -hmm. like. Like, we do. Like, of course, we acknowledge it. But like, we don't, I think, compared to a lot of other podcasts that handle the topic of non-monogamy or polyamory, often they tend to be a lot more kink focused, or their imagery tends to be a lot more kink focused, or there tend to be a lot of shows out there that are just swapping stories of these threesomes or group sex nights that we had. And what was that like? And... And that's never really been our show. And I know privately, the three of us have had discussions around like, are we sex negative? Are we like, are we secretly sex negative? Are, are we like all repressed about our sexuality? And that's like, why well, we don't talk about it a lot or don't want to share these, you know, these uh, sordid tales on <laughs> the show. And I, you know, upon examining it, like, I don't think any of us are are sex negative in the the way we first described as in like being really repressive and secret, secret and and shameful about sex because all three of us are having sex and having a good time. Um, yeah. And pretty okay with our sexualities and how those are shaping up. Um, however, I do feel that within this community and within this context where we see all these other shows that handle non-monogamy, at least I personally can feel this sense of, of a little bit of the, that compulsory sexuality Pressure at work mm. of feeling like, oh, if I'm not talking about kink or sex or group sex at the same level of frequency as these other people are, that must mean that I'm inherently sex negative. Fascinating.
1: And that and that there's a negative like value judgment that goes with that. Yeah which is kind of exactly what we're talking about, right? Where it's like, it's flipped all the way back around.
2: Yeah, totally. Where
1: <laughs> and now, like, if you're not doing those things, there is kind of this negative, like, value judgment on you as a person. Like, you're not, you know.
0: Yeah. I don't know Yeah, what. Not, I think I've, yeah. I've also come up against, even just in my personal life, sometimes I've come up, up, come up against this idea that if you don't, want to dive into sharing, like, all the juicy details of your last hookup. Like, Mm. if you don't get joy from those kind of conversations, then it must be because you're repressed in some way.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Hadn't thought about it that way specifically.
0: Which sometimes, I mean, of course, it it creates a mind trip for me because sometimes I'm like, am I repressed? Is this all my my sex-negative Christian upbringing that's Mm -hmm. that's causing this? But then sometimes I'm like, no, I don't think so. I just kind of like to be private and I also don't have that that exciting of stories at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, eh, nobody will care.
2: It's pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, vanilla doesn't necessarily mean, or more vanilla or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that one is sex-negative. Um, yeah. So in moving along and looking at these critical things about the sex-positivity movement, which I think is something that sex-negative feminism does... Um, It's looking at patriarchy and how patriarchy still shows up in the bedroom in a lot of ways, even if it is consensual sex. Uh, And also that it's not, that patriarchy can show up even in non-heterosexual relationships. Um, So people often will ask, and, and I know in my youth I have done this, and even if it's just like being cheeky or whatever... And being cute, but ask my friends who are uh, homosexual, say like, oh, well, who's the man and who's the woman in the relationship? And I know like this automatically is an assumption of one person having like the upper hand and someone having the power in the relationship and the other person, you know, not having that, which obviously Mm -hmm. perpetuates this idea of, I think sort of toxic patriarchy in a lot of ways. And that is something to address and look at for sure within the question of the sex positive movement, like something just to be aware of at the very least that, that this is something that people will automatically maybe assume or ask that question or, or think about or not even like realize like obviously patriarchy is coming up still in consensual Mm -hmm. relationships.
0: I want to talk briefly about what that can look like, um, because I feel like this is something that hasn't even really come onto my radar until the last couple of years or so that mm-hmm. I started thinking about my own sex life in this way of realizing like, hey, there is still kind of this backdrop of Our patriarchy and, yeah. and other hierarchies going on, even when I'm having 100% consensual sex. And it can be things... That seem relatively harmless, but are still patriarchy at play. I think, for instance, like you can still be having consensual, consensual, very pleasurable sex, but still operating under this assumption that like sex is always done when the man is done, Mm. you Mm. know, like, and that's like, that's just something that you can just fall into, you know, or, or I know for myself, you know, things that I internalized about the ways I had to look or the ways my body had to move to ensure that sex was pleasurable for the guy, you know, even if the sex is pleasurable for me, even if it was consensual, but it's like still feeling this pressure of like, I need to perform in certain ways, or else like my value as a partner is going to go down the toilet or whatever.
2: Even uh, just the idea that like, that your value is placed upon whether or not your partner wants to have sex with you. Because I definitely get mm-hmm. in moments of being like, well, my partner doesn't seem interested in sex or they haven't been interested in sex for like a week or a number of weeks. And that automatically means that I my value as a partner must have gone down just simply because they're not showing the kind of interest in me mm-hmm. as a sexual creature that I feel that they must need in order to like, see me as a valuable partner.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I I just to hop on that, that's so interesting, because it's like, you could look at that and be like, Oh, well, <laughs> like, M- Emily is so sex positive, that like, sex itself is this positive thing. And so therefore, when there's an absence of sex, then there's like a problem, Yeah. you know, mm. and so that feels like that can be like a weird kind of But it's far un- more nuanced th- than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like,
2: why does my worth have to be whether or not I am desired as a sexual creature? Like that, mm, ultimately, mm-hmm. like my desire as a, or my uh, worth as a human is so much more than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. so I think this also ropes in ideas around consent because again, And again, I mean, consent in itself, also this huge topic that now has become like so prolific and there's so many people talking about it and it's great, but um, it also is kind of intertwined with sex positivity and sex negativity in a way that again, and I'm sorry to keep using this word that is nuanced and complex and isn't just this black and white thing. um, And there's kind of this idea that like consent itself, you know, we've seen all the like making asking for consent sexy or Mm. like asking for consent is this really sexy thing that maybe it shouldn't necessarily be deemed as a sexy thing. Like, maybe your partner asking for consent shouldn't be something that's super exciting to you. Rather, it should just automatically be part of the conversation. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, it's not this inherently good or bad thing. Um, I know I've experienced this. I know I've talked to some other, like, patrons in our Patreon group about this phenomenon, but, um, like... A, I want to say like over a year ago, the last time I was in a situation where I was like facing the possibility of having sex with someone new and the fact that this person did not at all pressure me for sex like before I was ready like it wasn't even put on the table like I didn't even have to like say no or anything at that time I was like so bowled over I was like wow this is so amazing and then also like the next time that like it was you know this person was really good at asking for consent and being really on top of it and like really you know being very aware and I was just again so bowled over like oh my god this is so amazing and it's so wonderful and it's so great and it took me a few months to realize like okay that was great but shouldn't be like this person wins 5,000 points because they asked for consent. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't be wanting to like sing this person's praises because they didn't pressure me for sex. Like this should be a freaking normal thing. Um, it shouldn't be just something that gets this value judgment attached to it of like, oh, if you ask for consent, that's just so much sexier and and you're such a better person. It's just like, no, this should just be the base level, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I think also things start to get a little bit complex because the fact that like sometimes people are in a situation where they're not able to have the consent conversation, either someone who doesn't even have the language for it or there's no inroads in the relationship. You know, like if you've been in a monogamous relationship or a married relationship where it's like the consent conversation was never even broached in the first place. It was just this context of like you're married or you're monogamous and so, you know, you kind of own each other sexually. Yeah. Yeah. And sex just happens. And so can we then look at that sex and be like, oh, that sex is inherently bad because you haven't navigated consent because of the context that you're in. Or does that mean the sex can never be pleasurable?
1: Yeah. I thought this, this was one of the most interesting things when we were researching this episode compared to when we've had conversations about this on the show in the past was, was this one was kind of pointing out that, if sex positivity is saying that like sex is a good thing as long as it's xy and z right like as long as it's you know consensual between adults you know free will whatever right it's like if it's those things then it's good carries with it this kind of meaning that like well if it's not those things then it's bad mm. and that while while i think we would all agree that everyone should be able to have consent and taking that away from anyone or not giving that to someone is a bad thing. But if you're just going to say blanket, like any sex that's not, that is like a bad or like less valuable thing. Say you take the example of someone who has been, she she was married for 20 years in a monogamous relationship where like sex was the expectation. She didn't really have the chance to consent to that. And, but she enjoyed it some of the time, maybe a lot of the time, right? Maybe she enjoyed it, but it wasn't consensual that within the world of sex positivity and the way people talk about sex, that person could end up feeling like, okay, so all of that pleasure that I had is not valid. It's somehow less valuable Mm -hmm. because I didn't consent to it. So again, it's like not, not trying to paint with this big broad brush, like not making this so clear cut black and white. Like if it follows these rules, it's therefore good. And if it doesn't, it's bad or it's less valuable. It's kind of acknowledging the fact that there's a lot more dynamics at play here. Like all the stuff that both of you have brought up here, like there's a lot more subtlety involved and you can't just kind of go, here's the rules. And as long as you follow those, everything's great. And if you don't do any of these, then it's inherently bad. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection.
2: Okay, so we've talked about this a little bit before, but I do think that there is this kind of automatic assumption that that like liberal-minded people out there, progressive people, are just automatically sex positive. And then again, on the flip side, sex negative people are going to be those who are maybe more conservative, more closed-minded. Uh, but again, as we've been saying this entire time, it really does... Go a little bit more nuanced than that, a little bit uh, more intricate into like what actually these things mean, because one doesn't necessarily equal the other by any means.
0: Yeah. And I just, I feel like, to be totally honest, over the course of the last few years, I, on my Twitter bio, I have put hashtag sex positive and then removed hashtag sex positive ah. like three times, at least like, three times. I've gone back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I think be- because of these conversations and because this is something that I think about a lot and it moves through me a lot for some reason. And, and because, again, like, I think that it's basically there's not a hashtag short enough to fit into my Twitter bio that would actually <laughs> explain how I feel. And I think that's hard. Critical, that's why it's so frustrating is because positive, yeah, exactly. Where I'm like, hashtag sex positive, except I don't think that all sex thing. is all totally is all totally good. And like, sometimes I like to be critical of sex as well because like I, I you know, feminism and I want to examine the patriarchy and then like, so, but sometimes I feel sex negative and I'm still kind of divorcing that out of my system. And I don't even know what my sexuality is. Hashtag. And it's like by the, the yeah. yeah, by the time I've done that, like there's no more characters left in my bio. And yeah. so I can't, <laughs>
1: <laughs> your whole bio is just <laughs> one one really long hashtag and people are
2: like exactly. trying to decipher what it says. I love it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And so
0: so I just I mean we've talked a lot about like um you know being sex critical and I do want to spend a little bit more time talking about uh, Okay, I'll, I'll just at least open up with talking about, for me, the thing that always motivates me to take sex positive off of my bio during the times that I do. And it is that, like, I think as we've said, painting things with a broad brush and just being really totalitarian with sex positivity really doesn't serve everyone. And it really doesn't allow for the full picture and the full spectrum of the conversation. I feel at least those are the things that I'm feeling when during the times that I take that off my bio and I'm like, fuck this.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, And a lot of times I think a lot of people look at sex positivity and they think of it as like, well, this is a broad spectrum. Everyone should be this, but they're not taking into account those who are not necessarily privileged in certain ways um, I know that one of the articles that we read brought up those who were born maybe without a clitoris, for example, mm. um, or for those who, again, like Jay said, who are asexual, who choose not to be sexual, it can be alienating to them. Uh, just this idea of sex positivity, again, that if you're not this, then you're a bad person or you're not progressive in some way.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's wrapped up in this, that's also wrapped up in this narrative of sex positivity, automatically equaling empowerment. Mm. Uh, usually it's packaged as empowerment for women. Um, and again, where it's like, you know, well, how is that measured? You know, some people measure it in the sense of like, it's the number of orgasms you're able to get from your partner or give to yourself. And and if you don't orgasm in this particular way, then it's hard to measure by that particular metric. Um, or the fact that historically, as we've seen, you know, people that aren't necessarily cisgender or white tend to be much receive much heavier punishment and backlash for being openly sexual, yeah. or they're more likely to have their sexual expression linked to their sexual identity or gender identity or racial identity um, more so than like a white person might have, and yeah. so just kind that of goes along wholeheartedly, with the privilege question. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly.
0: So just kind of wholeheartedly saying like sex positive. Activities as something that everyone needs to ascribe to doesn't really um, doesn't really actually take into account the wide variety of experience coming into this.
1: It's like kind of a similar discussion to talking about being out, either mm. about you know being gay or pansexual Ooh, or something, or being right. polyamorous. Yeah, it's this like, well, it's one thing to just go, "Well, I did it, and everyone should do it," because then the world's a better place, and not to take into the account not to take into account that not everyone has the same amount of safety or security that you do. Like the consequences aren't even for everybody. No. And I think that, mm. that the sex positivity community can kind of fall into this where it's like, whatever, like who cares what people think? Like we're just going to reclaim this aspect right, of the, our like, lives. Do just, just do, do you. you. And that yeah. that's not, that's not as realistic an option or as safe an option for everyone.
2: Yeah. It can be more intersectional mm. as well. Like, people have to take into account just, again, we're going to throw that word out there again, but the nuance of it all and that uh, someone, you know, a a trans woman of color might not feel comfortable in certain arenas uh, as, like, a white woman would Mm -hmm. and saying, like, well, I, I don't know if I want sex in X, Y, or Z way. I may not feel comfortable in X, Y, and Z way. Because someone who has a certain amount of privilege that I don't have would automatically just feel super comfortable in ways that I don't.
0: Well, I think it's it's especially like if you have any kind of identity that already tends to be hypersexualized by other mm-hmm. people. And that's pretty much it can be anything like, yeah, you anything. know, it can be. You know, women of color, it can be people who are trans, it can be people who are gay, like it can be it's It's basically we've seen a history of anything that's even remotely been considered to be sexually deviant often gets hypersexualized, either in a fetishist, fetishistic way or in a very negative way. And I've definitely seen in my own life because of being in non-monogamous relationships and polyamorous relationships for a long time, uh, at least the way I tend to feel personally is like, well, people are already assuming I'm some sort of weird hypersexual nymphomaniac. And so that means I don't feel comfortable sharing, like just so casually talking about like the hookup I had last weekend or the group sex event I went to because I'm like now I'm playing into everyone's stereotypes and they're just like even more afraid of me.
1: than they Mm -hmm. were
0: before and like that's also my experience as you know being a relatively privileged person you know that even just that little sliver makes it uncomfortable for me to talk about that and to like be i guess what a lot of people consider to be demonstrably sex positive i suppose
1: yeah another criticism that comes up about sex positivity or i guess maybe not even a criticism but something worth discussing is how are men involved and this comes up in a, in a number of ways. One is that a lot of times within sex positivity, there, it can be talked about as if, well, kind of men aren't even part of this conversation because they're all sort of po- sex positive by nature because men are more sexual hmm. than women. That's a right?
2: big overarching statement. Right. And one that's
1: scientifically been shown not Just, to be true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is this cultural belief that we're taught, right? And so there is sometimes a criticism of the way that sex positivity is talked about is kind of ignoring a huge part of the conversation. Like, it's kind of buying into this idea that sex is a gendered thing, and it can tend to sort of reinforce a gender binary even. Um, and, And I guess sort of there's, like, multiple directions I could go from here, but, like, kind of one of them is what you were talking about before of that um, sort of treating women like a sexual object and that that's where their value comes from. And so if your partner doesn't want to have sex with you, you're somehow less valuable or something's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, then on the other side of that, there's this other thing where, like, well, we're not even going to talk about men because we all know that they want to have sex all the time.
2: Which is also, like, yeah, feeding... That idea Mm -hmm. that people's Mm -hmm. worth is how much they want to have sex. Or if you're a guy, I don't know, that Mm -hmm. like, if you're having a bunch of sex, then all of a sudden you are more worthy or you are better. Mm
1: -hmm. It's very much tied into your own self-worth about how much sex you're having, or at least we're we're told that. And then also, if you don't want to be having sex as much, if you either have a lower sex drive or are more demisexual or asexual or perhaps, um, you know, have had some trauma in your past or something that make you not want to just, like, get as much sex as possible, that there's also kind of this this devaluing that can go along with that and this sort of, um, I, I guess, pressure to be more normal, which I actually think can lead to a lot of bad behaviors, um, you know, it actually kind of contributes to this culture that doesn't value consent as much because we're sort of operating on these assumptions about people. We're like, again, we're painting with these broad brushes. We're not realizing that there is a lot of nuance here, um, to each individual's experience. Um, so that's, that's also a criticism that gets brought up a lot, um, of just kind of like, well, the way sex positivity can be talked about sometimes, isn't involving the whole conversation.
0: Uh, yeah. Could we, um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think we're allowed to use the word nuance one more time in this. Only episode. one. That's <laughs> and that's it. That's yeah. it. And I won't even take it. I'll let it, I'll let it just float around for either of the two of you oh, to take it. Okay. Um, well, but here's a question uh, that I think, you know, needs to come up is it possible to have an idea or carry this idea of sex neutrality like See, is and that I, something is that a definition that needs to be written is it even a thing that could possibly exist
2: yeah and i expected like there to be some sort of research or something done on this but it doesn't exist exactly it, I, it, it I we didn't There's seem nothing. to find any so i don't know i think i like the definition of like being sex critical critical of sex critical of the way that sex is presented to our culture especially the american culture the yeah. one that is uh, i think puritanical in many ways and obviously like highly patriarchal in many ways still uh and just looking at everything critically with a critical eye
0: well, so see, so that's the thing. So then, I did think maybe I put hashtag sex critical. Oh, I like that in all my bios. Do it. And at first, I was like, "Well, I don't know how I feel about that because I get this image of me like in the bedroom with my partner with a clipboard and giving just a lot of criticism, which doesn't sound very sexy." Oh, but then sometimes I'm like, "But to be fair, like those are kind of the thoughts that go through my head sometimes." Is wanting to kind of step back and like take a look at what's going on here sexually and. How do I feel about it? And what are the good parts and the bad parts? And I don't know. Well, I attaching like critical, a
2: critical though. eye to most things, I think, is probably good. Not that I want to say that anything is necessarily good or bad, but I, I appreciate the thought.
1: I, I was kind of into the clipboard idea until it started being about criticism. <laughs> and then...
2: <laughs> critical doesn't necessarily mean criticism.
1: Yeah, well, then she she said criticism specifically. But yeah,
0: I'm masters of sex.
2: That TV right, that's kind
1: of I guess yeah, 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 yeah. Like, if let's you want let's me really to bring analyze. a
0: clipboard into the bedroom, Jace, I won't kink shame you. I know, right? <laughs> I won't be like, sex negative in that way. I'm, yeah, <laughs>
2: right. this is what's going to happen. Now we're never going to hear about it because we don't talk about sex on this show.
0: I'm kidding,
2: I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah. hey, if
0: there's some steamy clipboard stories that come out as the result of this episode, you're right.
2: That's a I'll, bonus episode I guess waiting to Maybe, happen. Yeah, that'll
0: probably be some bonus content. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, that's that's interesting. I'm thinking about this idea of like sex neutrality or sex sex critical. It's it's interesting. I, I guess kind of what what it's bringing me back to is, I guess what what I think is important to take away from this episode and something that was interesting in reading some of these people's stories, particularly people who identify as sex negative feminists, talked about how passionate the like hatred and vitriol toward mm. them from sex positive people is. Yeah, that's um, fucked up. Is sometimes at least. And I think that's kind of the, the key here to take away is it's not a question of like, well, what's better? Is it sex positivity or sex negativity? Who's right? That's the whole point is that when you get like when you look at people in their writings about it you'll get people who talk about sex positivity in a way that that very much acknowledges the concerns of sex negative feminists and you'll have people talking about sex negativity in a way that would sound very sex positive to most people if it didn't have that sex negative label attached to it it's more just kind of a way of bringing attention to the fact that like, Hey, this isn't so easy. This isn't something that we can just be like, well, society's rules are wrong. So here's the new rules. And as long as you follow these, everything's fine and everything that doesn't is bad. That it's, it's kind of bringing attention to that and be like, no, there's more conversation to be had here. Yeah. Mm.
0: And it's, I mean, and I do appreciate that. It doesn't mean, at least for me, I feel like my personal takeaway is that it doesn't mean, throwing away the concept of sex positivity and, and just being like, well, that's bad now. (laughs) Um, because I think, I think as a culture, it, and for people individually as well, it is really important to at least have that concept exist. Cause I think for a lot of people, even just the concept of sex positivity, as we know, it is still new to some people. And even coming across that concept is going to be really illuminating and possibly life changing. I know it certainly was for me. Um, and so it's kind of like these things build upon each other, and it's not quite so easy to just take one thing and kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were.
2: And speaking of babies, I will say, not necessarily that any of us are going to have any, but in looking <laughs> to the future, again, this critical eye of what sex positivity, sex negative fem- feminism and all of these things look like, I think it's important to continue like, bringing that to the masses, those ideas to the next generation of people that are going mm. to be being brought up by those who are our age, for example, and something yeah. to think about when talking to them about sex in general and maybe changing the narrative of what our culture, what, what the three of us really grew up with, which I think still was mm. very much along the lines even me, Even someone who was not raised at all religious, but I still think that I was raised with this idea that, like, well, really only have sex with someone that you're really in love with, or really only have sex with someone, you know, if you're ready for it, if you, you know, can handle it, it, I don't know, and and don't talk about it, don't masturbate, don't Mm -hmm. think about it too much, you know, all of those things. And I think that that narrative from the beginning, can be changed and be thought of in a much more productive manner.
0: Yeah. So I think ultimately, what we would want to impart to the people listening is that as much as human beings love definitions and labels and very clear black and white things, there doesn't exist a single definition or label or a rule or a formula that's going to make it okay to not think critically about things or to not examine things or to not analyze things. I think that's kind of what we've learned here is that that's why it's important to know that like, when you say sex positive or sex negative, it doesn't mean just these two black and white things. It doesn't mean just this one good thing and this one bad thing. It's um a lot more expansive and that's okay that's actually a good thing it's actually good to have something that's expansive and that does make you think about things and and weigh up pros and cons and think about different situations um even though maybe it feels like it's harder because we can't just like put a label on something very easy and then be done (laughs) um but uh yeah it is actually a good thing to have these things that generate more debate discussion and thinking critically about things
2: hashtag nuance.
1: There it was. There that go. was the last Done. one. Okay. Listen, even before you <laughs> wrote you. it,
2: I was going to say it. Thank you for like just being on the same page uh. as me. Uh. We, you were. You said that you were allowed to put one more in there, and yeah. then Dedeker herself crossed it out. So I, I crossed I'd it say. out okay, i crossed fine. it out to
1: say maybe it for hang the on but maybe
0: that's what i maybe that's what i put in my twitter bio is hashtag oh, nuance i like sex. that oh. sex nuance mm.
1: sex nuance mm.
2: what? you're gonna create a movement editor you're gonna no, have to crea- i really
0: don't want to be responsible for a movement
2: with <laughs> <laughs> the sex nuance <laughs> movement okay well let's right. let's take her
1: home yeah we? so we would love to hear from you we want to know um was this the first time you'd heard this other definition of sex negativity Is that something? you've heard of before? Is it something you identify with? What about sex positivity? What's your relationship been with that? And of course, if you are a theologian or a philosopher who writes about sex moralism, I would love to talk to you more about that because I find it super fascinating. And the best place that you can share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or our Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com/multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly. Join the conversation on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. You can email us at info@multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678MULTI05 or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lincoln. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
2: 18 plus.